0: Welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food
1: and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and love history, food history, domestic history, and also making stuff, historical or not. So what have you been up to before we get to the main topic?
0: I finished my Halloween cross-stitch. Excellent. Which is unreasonably exciting. Okay. <laughs> I d did you tell me about this or have I forgotten? Um I put it it was in my last like craft diary video. Okay, right. I haven't gone around to that yet, so I will do that ASAP. Um So yeah, oh. I think that's the only thing I've actually completed. I've mostly just been working on stuff because I do big projects.
2: Hey. <laughs> I support that. I feel like everyone
0: listening who crafts can relate. Yeah. <laughs> I did finish the back of the Knives Out jumper, so I'm officially a third of the way through the Knives Out jumper. <laughs> so much cabling. The final thing's going to weigh about 1.2 kilos, based on that. how it's well. It was a whole 400-gram ball just for the back of this jumper. Oh, that is a lot of warmth. Like, it's a men's large. Uh but it's also a lot of cabling like I've made men I've made jumpers this size before with the same gauge and they did not take a 400 gram ball for just the back wow it's it's ridiculous it's gonna be the (laughs) warmest jumper that's a blanket it is it's a wearable weighted blanket basically
1: that actually makes it sound amazing
0: See now I'm wondering if there's a way to incorporate some sort of weighting into a regular jumper. There probably is. Probably yeah. Like a like a thunder shirt for humans.
1: <laughs> oh, you can get that um, weighted cord, right? You could definitely sew that into oh, a hem yeah. or something.
0: Or even just like hold it double with the yarn for a bit.
1: Depends how thick your yarn is. I don't know how thin they do that cord. Um.
0: I reckon you could do a way to gansey, but that's one to one to look up. I think that is. What have you been up to?
1: Um, not as much baking as I'd like because of being busy and stuff, <laughs> and having a social life. Ah, oh. you make it sound Sucks. like we have nothing going on. <laughs> I know um but I have I've started making some Christmas decorations um Ooh. and stuff well and and things that I can send to people as presents um which is cool but that means I can't talk about it on this podcast because you're getting one of them um what yeah um so apart from that um yeah, kind of not that much. I'm having a bit of a dry spell, I have to say. I need to get my rose hips out of the freezer and, and do the rose hip syrup, but it's just getting a clear day to do that because I feel like I'm going to need a while to sort out everything because it involves like a fine jelly bag and and leaving things to like drip and oh yeah, sterilising bottles and all of that jazz. So, yeah. It's it's kind of a a fallow time for, <laughs> for that kind of stuff, I think. Um, but I'm just I'm kind of mad that I've missed
0: the blackberries. Well, we're we're just coming to the end of blackberry season because obviously it's a bit later in the north. hmm So, because there's a couple of of brambles that grow right next to the tram stop, so sometimes you just grab one, you know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> free food is always good food um, cool. I'm foraging like the ancestors
1: <laughs> I always I love doing that like I go out foraging like berry picking and stuff and I'm just like oh yes so connected to my rural ancestors and then I go home to my like central heating and my um like cozy um yeah I'm
0: sure your rural ancestors would have killed for central heating <laughs> yeah <laughs> So what what are we learning about this week?
1: Um, so I picked one of our master lists this week. I'm going to talk about snails. Oh, effervescent. Effervescent, indeed. I feel like you need to put that uh, rug up as the teaser image.
0: I mean, it does now have most of the lettering. I need to adjust it on the frame, but it's it says efferves at the moment.
1: <laughs> That's like a command. i can do that (laughs) Um, i'm not sure i would have witnessed that (laughs) (laughs) well i'll just leave you to imagine it and instead um, i'm going to give you a little french children's rhyme about snails because i found this in the course of my research and it was adorable um i'm actually going to try and do it in french um as well because it is quite short and I feel like I can probably l- make an attempt. Um so the French goes "Un petit escargot pour ce son oh no Petit Escargot Porte Sandor Sa maisonnette. Aussitôt qu'il pleut, il est tout hereux il lève sa tête But like you sing it. Um mm-hmm. And I've forgotten the tune, but I will, I will put a link to a video because it's adorable. Anyway, in French, this means... Little snail carries on its back its little house. As soon as it rains, he gets happy. He comes out of his shell.
0: That's adorable. This is so cute!
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so... That is my segue into talking about snail middens in the uh, Paleolithic period. Oh,
0: oh snail <laughs> middens excite me! Is the thing.
1: I know, right? I ah, <laughs> oh, so much archaeological, archaeological... nerdery. <laughs> Apologize. <laughs> Apologies to anyone who did not come to this podcast to listen to two grown people enthuse about snail middens. I mean, if you did, not what are you even here for? I mean, I feel like our listener base is people that would want to hear that. That is true. So welcome, <laughs> fellow snail nerds.
0: Snurds.
2: <laughs> is
1: that going to become our annoying cutesy nickname for our like listener base? It
0: can if we say it enough.
1: <laughs> I think that way danger lies. Um, so snails, as it turns out, are among other things very high in protein. Uh, and so were really useful in the hunter-gatherer diet. Um, I'm going to be talking about snails from the perspective of um, being eaten as food, uh, as like ornamentation, decoration, and as medicine a little bit as well. So we we have a deeper relationship with snails than one might realize. Um, snails, I think, are probably best known for like the French dish of escargot, mm-hmm. um, which I will get to later. But they've actually been eaten for thousands and thousands of years because, as I said, they're high in protein. If you're a hunter-gatherer looking for stuff to eat that will keep you going, a snail is one of them. Um, it's kind of thought um that they weren't really eaten until the upper paleolithic um apparently it's it's to do with like people were probably like hunting focusing on hunting bigger animals and stuff at that point but at that point there seems to be a sort of an a bit of an explosion in The variety of diet and stuff um and i actually found several articles that were were talking about this um because of the presence of a lot of snail middens so a midden if you've not come across one is like a big rubbish heap um it's a historical landfill yeah and often you come across middens that are like entirely one kind of thing which is quite exciting and probably shows there was a, a lot of eating of that thing. Um, so we get snail middens and they appear kind of almost all over the world. Um, there's I, I couldn't find that much on the Americas, um, but certainly in Europe, in Africa, um, and a little bit in Asia, they're, being consumed i think in in sort of the pacific region new zealand as well um there's only a few types of snail that are edible so they tend to be sort of the same kind of snail um one of these and what i as far as i can gather is the earliest evidence for snail exploitation <laughs> for food um is
2: In Spain. Um,
1: And this is about ten thousand years previous to evidence for snail like mass consumption in Morocco, France, Italy, and the Balkans, um, which where there are there's evidence for like other eating of snails.
2: and this is because of a the presence of like just just a lot of snail shells i think because
0: um, just because of what i looked at when i was doing undergrad i know that there's a lot of middens at um Scarabray and sort of Orkney in general, mm-hmm. are the snails up there or is it more sort of warmer areas?
1: Um, it seems like the earliest ones that we can find are kind of in the Mediterranean. Um, so there's a couple in Spain um, in Cantabria and um, the oldest one in a place called Cova de la Barriada uh, where they found large concentrated amounts of snail shells along with other animal remains um, in pits that were apparently used for cooking, and um, that's dated to about, about 30,000 years before present, um, which is 1950, because that's the present in archaeological terms, uh, but still, like, a, a pretty long time ago, um, and, and that's just about the earliest evidence we have, as far as I have been able to find, um, for, like, large amounts of snail consumption. And that's about 10,000 years before the evidence um, for snail consumption in sort of other parts of Europe, in the Balkans and and more northerly and in uh, Morocco as well. Um, I guess it makes sense, but, but
0: I don't know, whenever you see numbers like that, it's just like, that was so long ago.
1: Oh, Yeah. I did still a
0: thing and it was so long ago. That's
1: so, I mean, yeah, like that's, that's the upper paleolithic. Um,
0: Paleo diet includes snails confirmed.
1: (laughs) We're building the paleo diet one step at a time. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it absolutely did include snails, uh, according to this. Um, There's also evidence of them, I'm not sure about being eaten in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, around similar kind of times, um, but also being used as ornamentation. So like making beads out of snail shells, um, which there is also evidence of in uh, Britain and in Western Europe are being used as like ornamentation. Um, These are land snails, by the way, that I'm mostly talking about. Um, Sea snails have been eaten as well but i I didn't seem to see any particular evidence of like large sea snail consumption so i i'm i'm gonna sort of suggest maybe that was a a regional thing because i know people do eat sea snails like winkles are still (laughs) fairly popular in britain in like coastal areas like tiny sea snails they are delicious as well um they are yeah But yeah, it seems to be mostly um, certain kinds, the edible kinds of land snails that are being consumed in prehistory, sometimes in quite large quantities, um, as evidenced by these snail middens, um, which is just, it's quite exciting. (laughs) Um, Apparently there was like some debate over whether or not they were being used for food, but because so many have been found like in with other animal remains and with other things related to cooking um and and some deposits of like snail shells have been found appearing to be roasted, so i I feel like that makes it kind of kind of ov- obvious um so we're thinking that it's kind of the kitchen waste midden yeah, um so interestingly, apparently um they managed to determine these snail shells had been r- roasted um using like high resolution microscopes to look at the minerals that that were oh, that's on the shelf cool. it's it's so science-y and cool <laughs> <laughs> um is your your little bio bioarchaeology heart happy it makes it makes my bsc happy yes <laughs> <laughs> i'm just a weak and wobbly ba <laughs> So yeah, we have pretty strong evidence to say that it was part of the hunter gatherer um and early agricultural diet in prehistory. And we know that it that snails as food remained fairly popular um because we we still see that in kind of ancient times. So there was a Hellenic colony um in the Middle East um where they found the remains of like a single feast um this is dated to 150 bc um and they found the remains of what appears to be just like a single feast um where they included snails along with the other remains of the feast and it's also fairly well documented in roman literature um so the Romans, the Romans actually, Romans them. sorry,
0: I have heard of the Romans eating them. Yeah, so it the Romans salty milk to
1: fatten them up. Yeah, the Romans had snail farms. Um, heliciculture. heliciculture uh is the word for the practice of snail farming.
0: I, like I love that. it. It's probably the safest kind of farming
1: to do. <laughs> Maybe so. Yeah,
0: but I was like, so no, like I'm
1: not going to trample you. <laughs> Maybe if you're Sean Bean, it will happen. (laughs) What? Oh, he gets trampled by a herd of cows in in one of his many film deaths. I I
0: I thought there was a film where he gets killed by snails that
1: that I'd miss. (laughs) I would watch that movie. (laughs) (laughs) The one where Sean Bean fights the angry giant snail. (laughs) halloween blockbuster just saying um but yeah um in 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 the roman empire um snails were pretty much in demand as evidenced by the presence of snail farms um i'm gonna say it wrong again probably because i've forgotten but pliny the elder pliny oh my god i always picked the wrong one I almost feel like Pliny is, is the, the wrong one, but I don't know why.
0: Because there's only one N. The mm. rules of English, mean it should be Pliny. But the rules of English are stupid and are <laughs> inconsistent. We know this. And also, it, he's not English.
1: <laughs> so Pliny the Elder um, talks about heliciculture being practised on the estate of a guy called Fluvius Herpinius in 50 AD. Um, this is in Italy. And apparently he fed his snails with wine and meat, which I assume would make them taste better. I don't know. But I, I think that shows that there was a pretty big demand in the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there have been
2: mentions of snails
1: throughout later history as well um a lot of the ones i've been able to find come from france which i think would add to this idea of french cuisine being associated with snails um although they are definitely not the only modern like food culture to have snails in it which i will get to later as well uh, but apparently, in France, in the Middle Ages, the snail trade was monopolised by the monasteries, which is kind of hilarious. I don't know. Like, I always think <laughs> I always think of monasteries as like um, brewing beer or spirits or like wool farming or something. But <laughs> the idea of lots of monks tending a snail farm <laughs> just it's kind of the dream. I know. <laughs> Become a monk. Nobody bothers you. You just get to, like, spend time alone and tend to some snails all day and live in a nice house. Um. Yeah, so apparently um, s- snails were proclaimed a kind of fish so that they could still be eaten during Lent. Oh, yeah,
0: the... I think it's parts of the southwest there's uh, wallfish is like a slang for snails. Really? That is fantastic.
2: I love that that's still a thing.
1: Wallfish. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently they're being called escargos as early as the 14th century which kind of surprised me. Um, Escargo... It turns out just means edible snail as opposed to unedible snails, which I think have a different word in French mm-hmm. um, and there are there is some advice for cooking them in the fourteenth century, um which advises to collect them in the morning, wash them in salt and vinegar, and then cook them uh, in fifteen forty three A small book was written by a guy called Etienne de Laig called Noteworthy Treatise Concerning the Properties of Turtles, Snails, Frogs and Artichokes. Now one of these things is not like the others. (laughs) Hey. (laughs) Interesting choice. Uh, apparently he wasn't all that keen on the eating of all of these animals. Including <laughs> and dance, and dance. The, the animal the
0: other <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, but is he does... in there? It's just four things he didn't
1: like. <laughs> this is just a collection of all the edible things I don't like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know, picky eaters.
1: So, um... Yeah, he he doesn't seem to like snails being in his food. Um, a quote is: "I know snails are ugly, but not so hideous as turtles, nor so vile, and nothing like as poisonous." I also know that the ancients ate them, but I can't accept peoples eating them daily, since other foods are more nourishing and of better substance.
2: I have two qualms with this. Gone food is not fuel, and Thank I, I resent the
0: implication.
1: Poisonous turtles? Yeah, I, I don't know anything about turtle um, toxicity, so I can't comment on that.
0: I mean, it's, it's, if it is a thing, it's certainly not a widely known thing. <laughs> I'm googling poisonous turtle right now. <laughs>
1: i have to know. I would like to know as well. But he does note that they're apparently beneficial for stomach illnesses. So, there you go. There are
0: no poisonous turtles and there are no known venomous turtles. Oh, get
1: wrecked, Etienne. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what turtles he was eating.
0: Maybe, it was, maybe he just got food poisoning from one once and then doesn't like them
1: anymore. Maybe, Yeah, I just had a grudge against turtles and artichokes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the artichokes are still boggling me.
1: But yeah, apparently snails are pretty good for curing stomach illness. Um, I I don't know the reasoning behind that. I I not I mean, find anything about time that at there all. Isn't but...
0: Any, let's be honest.
1: But yeah, you know, maybe someone ate a snail once and got better and was like, oh, it must have been the snail.
0: I like to imagine when people say things like that, there's just a physician in the corner shaking their head.
1: <laughs> <laughs> So it seems like they the snails got a little bit unfashionable for a while. Um, you don't really hear about them. I, I didn't find mentions in like any of the sort of popular cookbooks um, from like eighteenth nineteenth century really. Um, although it seems like they they hang on as like kind of a rustic food.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, as as they have all over the world, really. Um, Presumably, why M-
0: Mendip Wallfish is is a thing. Mm. It's, I think it's Somerset. I know it's Southwest. I think it's Somerset.
2: Okay. Wait. Wait. Is that
0: a place? The Mendips.
1: Oh yeah. No. I I thought like Mendip Wallfish was a village or something. It wouldn't surprise me. This is the. Oh no! Is this with because.
0: Uh, saying about wallfish still being a regional like slang term Uh uh-huh yeah yeah. wallfish is is like you go to somerset and you eat some snails oh okay right yeah maybe
1: so (laughs) yeah it seems like a lot of places have like regional snail cuisine as it were um very cool yeah um in fact there are actually records of like families of peasants being poisoned by snails and things like that. That's so um, cool. Yeah, I mean they're not if apparently if prepared properly they're not they're safe to eat. Um but it, it can be about eating the right kind of snail. Um because the well a um even the right kinds of snail if they're wild can have like nematodes and stuff inside like poisonous parasites and things yeah um (laughs) interestingly when i was looking at uh, the articles um to do with with snail middens and stuff i did also find one from the journal of Nematology entitled my favorite nematode (laughs) which i just like i love academics
0: thinking about it i do remember having to regularly give our dog preventative warming treatments because he loved
1: to eat slugs and snails oh that sounds sensible (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i i would not recommend to anyone to just go pick snails out the garden and and start cooking them because you could get nematodes inside you and you probably don't want those they can be fatal or at least like very uncomfortable Um, but, um, yeah, most snails consumed, like in the present day, are farmed snails, and they're sort of prepared in a special way. Um, so you know what's in the snail, I guess. But wild snails are, yeah, probably tricky. Uh, but it seems like, at least in the 19th century in Europe, the snails kind of came back as a fancy thing this time is is that because french uh possibly so i mean apparently there's records of them being served to the tsar of russia when he visited um paris um there's like a you know special dish um but like there's there's quite a few victorian i suppose not victorian because it's france but there's quite a few like 19th century um recipes and adverts and stuff um and i i think this is when it gets really associated with france as like less cargo Interesting. um because it it seems like it didn't come back in the same way in other countries in europe Although they are still eaten in Portugal and Spain, and other places as well, but it, it seems like it came back in, in certain countries and, and not in others. But it's fancy now.
0: It is fancy. <laughs> it's, more, it's one of those things that's like, fancy, but also a lot of people go, oh, that's kind of gross, which I always find really interesting, like oysters and that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I've never been able to get the hang of oysters um, not that not that it's an average thing that I consider buying, you know. But um, they just look really kind of slimy. Um, oh, I have eaten snails.
2: Um,
0: yeah, I'm, what, I'm the other way around. Okay, I have had frogs legs though, so I feel like I, I'm I'm halfway there. I just, <laughs> I just need to find somewhere I can get snails so I can try them.
1: You're halfway to being a stereotypical French person. <laughs> um,
0: I, I do love garlic and Bastille Day. <laughs> That's not what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> just, just the general concept, yeah. You
1: know? <laughs> so, um, I, I think one of the main reasons for snails being like a fancy dish now in in Europe, anyway, is. Because um, they kind of have to use the farmed snails. Um, you know, by that point, they'd worked out that eating wild snails is not great for you. Um, and so the snails needed to be farmed and like taken care of in a certain way. Mm. And that will cost money. So the, the snails, are, if you have them in a restaurant, they're expensive now and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So you, you, you have to get like the organic snails so apparently in france today they're they're still considered kind of a special occasion thing um like you can buy snails in cans with the shells as well uh, like on the side, um because it's quite popular to cook them and then put them back in the shell with a dressing or something um so yeah they're, they're still quite popular apparently but but kind of a special occasion thing um and they are still eaten like you can get them in the uk as well probably not in a can but in a restaurant um they're pretty popular i think france is the the one of the biggest like consumers of of snails for food um but portugal I mean, is not that far behind that's
0: mm.
1: um Portugal isn't that far behind um, and Spain as well Um, apparently there are some quite well-known Catalonian dishes that use um, snails kind of cooked in their shells Um, yeah and around the the Mediterranean I think it remains kind of a popular food Um, and elsewhere in the world as well Um, so the I, I ate snails for the first time in Vietnam um, and it was served with like a. They were served like in the shell um, with a spicy sauce on the side, and it was really delicious. Actually,
0: did you have those those tiny little forks?
1: No,
2: I think you just used like a pin thing. Okay, it's like a little, there... little little spike. Are there snail forks? I mean. Do you not remember the
0: list from the forks episode? There's a fork for everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, snails kind of
2: tasty, in my opinion. Oysters, maybe not.
0: I I stand by a smoked oyster. Okay. Then yeah. Not
1: I think stuff like this is a very much to your own taste kind of deal. Oh yeah.
0: Like I would never um, judge anyone for not
2: liking um, the food.
1: Uh oh, but by the way, uh, snail caviar is now more expensive than fish caviar. People
2: eat snail's eggs. Huh. Apparently they are very expensive
0: and luxurious. But do they taste good? I
1: don't know. <laughs> Like, uh, and i'm not question with these things is does it actually <laughs> taste good yeah i don't know i can't imagine but i maybe i don't know um i i can't find any anything mentioning them being eaten in the past but um who knows i don't know someone fancy eat them and then write us an email <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that is a uh i was trying to make a pun about like a potted history of snails but make it about a shell but it doesn't really work so that, that's all my snail information for that's today
0: snails in the nutshell uh no no <laughs> it's the wrong shell there aren't enough snail idioms
1: there aren't there really aren't that is something that we should remedy later. I'm sure no one no- wants to listen to like two hours of us trying to come up with snail puns.
0: Unless, you know, they sign up to the Patreon and ask for <laughs> that episode. <laughs> £10 pounds a month, we make any episode you want. in hint. hint.
1: <laughs> Hello, I'm Mod Pencil from Probably Bad RPG Ideas. If you'd like to hear discussions of ideas such as, what if in my urban fantasy game, magic turns out to not be real? And what is the best rules for an open...
2: Then listen to the probably Bad podcast, which is available on everywhere podcasts are, and also YouTube. Or check out our Tumblr and Twitter.
0: So, what are we talking about for local larder today? Um, I wanted to
2: talk about fermented milk. Oh.
0: Um, because I, I've seen people talking about it a lot as a superfood lately.
1: Oh really? I have okay. I am clearly not in the news spaces enough. What is it about fermented milk that's meant to be so good? Um,
0: supposedly it is very good for your gut microbiome. Okay. Um. So the main kind is called uh, kefir. I've heard of that. Um, which is milk fermented with kefir grains. Okay. Um what what is um kefir? What is it kind of like cereal or? Yeah, it's 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 just a, a kind of a kind of cereal grain. Okay. Um, which grows especially around the northern Caucasus and the Balkans. Mm-hmm. Um, so kafir, which refers to the grains and also the actual drink. But the drink itself is um kind of a yogurty texture.
1: Okay. All yeah, when I worked types. in the supermarket we had it next to the yogurt section. Yeah. So I thought it was yogurt, but apparently not.
0: Um it does share a lot of um it shares a lot of microbes with um things like activia, a lot of the lactobacillus. Okay. a lot of overlap um
2: and the sort of general like help your bowels kind of yogurt drinks mm-hmm. but yeah so like i said this it comes from um the Caucasus, and um yeah so
0: you made it in traditionally goat skin bags which you would just sort of hang by the door and anyone going past would hit it or you could go out and hit it yourself to keep the (laughs) milk and the grains mixed together that sounds kind of fun I feel like it would be good boxing practice honestly
1: (laughs) yeah I'll just go and beat up the milk
0: (laughs) because I mean it's a leather bag it's gonna hold right
1: (laughs) so I guess you'd hope so
0: well, it's like how you get water-weighted punching bags. I feel like it would be a similar vibe, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so because of this, it was known as a wineskin. Like, in areas like uh, Western Russia and the Afyon Karahisa province in Turkey. Okay. It's buried, basically na- known by different local words for wineskin. Hmm. Oh. And the idea was spread spread around Russia, Eastern Europe, right the way um to Japan actually. Mostly interestingly from the late 19th centuries when it kind of took off as a thing. Be beyond, you know, a a local thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But right back in the eighteenth century, you had people talking about it being This great health drink.
2: Okay, that's interesting. So it's not it's not just
1: like a new superfood.
0: Oh no! And there was whole things of like kind of like with sourdough starters being passed down. You'd have people passing down their kefir culture. Oh wow! Down through the family, and um, in the Northern Caucasus, it's still a taboo. Against sharing your family's culture because it makes ancestral spirits angry. Oh, wow. And there's these bit, these kind of elaborate, oh, I'm totally stealing your grains kind of things. <laughs> Try and trick these spirits if you, if you want to share it with someone. <laughs>
2: Um fantastic. I love how people will always find a way around that kind of stuff. It's great.
0: But there's a full-on um, I'm not gonna get into it now, but if you look up um Irina Timofeevna Sakharova, okay there's a whole like heist around getting these <laughs> tafir <healthier> grains <laughs> for a medical company at the start of the 20th century so they can start like producing kefir at a more industrial level for sale and she she was actually praised by the minister of food in the Soviet Union in the, in the 1970s for bringing kefir to Russia Okay,
2: was it like smuggled out of the country
0: Basically <laughs> like there's there's marriage plots involved. <laughs> like I said, I'm not gonna get into it because I feel like it's a whole thing on its own.
2: Uh, yeah, but that sounds like a whole
0: story. Okay. <laughs> um yeah, so it's also seen as a better way to ingest dairy, which obviously has some good things for you because it's lower in lactose. hmm Because uh, it gets broken down to lactic acid by the bacteria during fermentation, which apparently makes it taste buttery. Ooh. Delicious science. Mm-hmm. It also lasts longer than regular milk because it has a slight alcohol content. Oh, wow. Traditionally, we- about one to two percent. So it would take a lot to get drunk. You probably okay. have other problems at that point.
1: So you can't really get drunk off yogurt.
0: <laughs> no. Um, plus, like I said, that's, that would be a lot of dairy to have in a sitting, a lot of heart tasting, <laughs> very, very slightly fizzy, dare I say effervescent, um, thin yoghurt.
1: It's true, actually. I feel like being drunk would probably be the least of your problems at that point.
0: Um, but there have been some studies that show that it can reduce um, rheumatoid arthritis, like it has slight anti-inflammatory properties. Oh, wow. Um you can also make it with water but it doesn't have as many beneficial properties apparently mm-hmm. which I don't really know enough about the science to go further on that but I think it's interesting. Mm. Um but there's also a fermented milk drink which pops up in uh Kazakhstan and Mongolia and was apparently drunk by Genghis Khan. Hey I think I've heard of this. Yeah, so this is uh, fermented mare's milk. Ow. Which, again, you would keep in bags, in this case kind of hung off your saddle, and people would hit it as they went past (laughs) to help like agitate it for fermenting. Wow. Which, I love that that's just a thing, it's like, hey, punch (laughs) my milk bag, it'll (laughs) help me out.
1: You punch my milk, I'll punch yours. (laughs)
0: But it was really good sort of traveling food because obviously you could ride a lactating horse and then milk it and ferment that and just keep that cycle going.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a really handy method of production.
0: And specifically, you would want to ferment it before you drank it because apparently mare's milk can be a laxative. Oh, because um, it has so much la- so much lactose in it that even if you have lactase persistence, it can cause you some downstairs problems. Okay, but Noted. What- but once it's fermented, you can give it to babies, and people do give it to babies. Wow, because again, it's very low alcohol,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, kind of a similar level to kefir. So yeah, it's
2: this. Just- I I just find it interesting that,
0: because I think what kind of odd about milk that isn't from a cow in especially Western Europe, I think, was kind of like, even that I know people who will not eat sheep's milk cheese because, like, only cow's milk, which hey. you're already using milk from another animal.
1: Why is that where you draw the line, you know? Yeah, I suppose that's a bit strange. I mean, I I can see people, like, not not realizing that he can drink milk from other animals and stuff, but cheese, I mean. Hmm. I guess goat's milk is is one that is a bit more popular.
2: But it's it's still a thing that
0: a lot of people will look at and go, Oh, I dunno yeah. 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 But yeah, apparently in in Eastern Europe you've got horses' milk. And fermented milk. And you wow. just like, yeah, I'll drink that. I'll give that to my baby. I'll drink that on the road. Cool. I just find that really interesting.
2: Yeah.
0: And yeah, apparently, at least the kefir, I can't see anything about health benefits of cumus beyond it makes the mare's milk not a laxative anymore. <laughs> but yeah, apparently kefir could be a, a similar thing too. Like I say, things like activity, Activia and Yoplay not Yoplay, Activia and Yakults as just like a general bowel health drink, which I find quite interesting.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah, that's cool. So,
1: huh. I kind of want to go try it now.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm tempted to get some next time I see it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess like a a good thing about these these kind of things becoming popular is that like. I'm guessing you probably wouldn't have been able to get that in the UK like a couple of decades ago. Not um, until
0: relatively recently now.
1: Yeah, but I mean, yeah, like I said, we I've seen it in supermarkets recently. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pop down and get some, give it a try.
0: So thank you for listening. Um like I said, we do have a Patreon, Bread and Thread, um, as well as that. £10 amount, at £1 you get access to the Bread and Thread Discord, where we talk about things we've been cooking and making, and for £5 you get monthly recipes. Um, October's recipe was garlic soup. Mmm. Yeah. It's a soup
1: that makes me very happy. <laughs> yes. Um, You can also email us at breadandthreadpodcast at gmail.com if you've got any comments or ideas on things that we should do an episode on next, or uh, anything like that, Um, or if you want to tell us how snail caviar tastes. You can also contact us
0: on Twitter or Tumblr, both as Bread and Thread, and uh, we're on
2: YouTube as Bread and Thread. And
1: I think that is all of our things. That is all of our things. Cool. Um, Thank you for listening and we will see you next time.